You are listening to the First Baptist Church Martin podcast. For more information on our church, visit fbcmartin.org. We're going to pick up, we're in a study through this New Testament letter of 1 Corinthians. We're in chapter 7, and this morning we're going to look at verses 25 through 35. And so hopefully you have found your place there in God's Word. Let me invite you to stand with me in honor of our Lord and the reading of His Word to us today. Paul says, verse 25, now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in His mercy has made trustworthy. I suppose, therefore, that this is good because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned, and if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. But this I say, brethren, that the time is short, so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use this world as not misusing it, for the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world and how he may please his wife. There's a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world and how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own profit. Not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. Let's pray. Father, again this morning, we acknowledge that we live in a world that is troubled today. A world where there is much chaos and suffering and evil and violence and war. We see it in the headlines. It's all around us. And yet, God, we gather here in this place because we acknowledge that we desperately need a word from heaven to help us understand the times in which we live and how to live best for the glory of Christ in this world. And so I pray, Lord, today that you would speak to all of us, that your word would find good soil upon which to rest, that it may take root and bear fruit in our lives for the glory of the one for whom we were made and for whom we exist. Lord, we pray that our lives would bring glory to Christ Jesus, our Lord, and that you would be exalted in us and through us. We pray that we leave here today more committed to Jesus, more committed to Christ than we were when we walked through these doors this morning. And we pray this today in his name. Amen. May be seated. 
So in verse 25, Paul begins by saying, now concerning virgins. He's referring here to those who are not yet married. This is a word for the Christian who is single. Paul says, now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. As I said before earlier in this chapter, where Paul makes a similar statement, Paul is not suggesting that what he's about to share with us is not from the Lord, that this is not divine truth, and that it does not speak with authority into our lives. He's simply telling us, again, that this is a matter that he is going to discuss that Jesus never talked about during his time on earth. There's no record of Jesus speaking about these things in the Gospels. Jesus did talk about marriage. He talked about the importance of marriage. He talked about where marriage came from. He talked about how God views marriage, the sacredness of marriage, the permanence of the marriage relationship. He discussed all of that. But Jesus never talked about the issues of being married as a Christian to a person who's not a Christian. He never talked about whether or not a person who is single should marry. He never got into those details regarding marriage. But Paul is going to dive into those things because these are questions that these Corinthians had in the first century. Questions that still exist among the people of God today. What Paul is saying here is, I'm going to address this matter, even though Jesus never spoke on it, I'm going to address this matter as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy and has filled with his spirit to speak on his behalf with divine authority. So Paul is telling us that what he's about to share are not merely his words, this is not his opinion, but rather this is a word from the Lord to all of us, as is all of Scripture. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's all God's Word, not just the parts in red. So Paul speaks here on the authority of Jesus Christ, and the word that he gives here is for those that he says are living in or under the present distress. You see that in verse 26. And what's Paul talking about? It's interesting that the word that Paul uses here for distress is the same word used by Jesus in Luke chapter 21 and verse 23 as Jesus spoke of the conditions on earth during the last days. And here's what Jesus said. You don't have to turn there, but if you're a note taker, you may write this passage down in your margins and then go back and look at it later. But Luke 21 verse 23, Jesus said, But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, those who are caring for families during the last days here on earth. For there will be great distress on the earth, he says, literally mega distress in the land, and there will be wrath upon this people, for they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Everything started in that part of the world and all is going to come to an end in that part of the world. You want to know what God's doing in the world? Just keep your eyes on Israel. 
And Jesus said Israel is going to be a major player in the last days. And during those last days, it is going to be a period of great distress for his people here on the earth. Now, technically, the last days began when Jesus ascended back to heaven. The church has lived in the midst of the last days here on earth. We live with this hope and promise of the imminent and glorious return of our Lord where he will bring judgment and destruction upon his enemies, bring an end to the world as we know it, and establish a new heaven and a new earth where we will live and where he will reign forever. The, 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 the last days in the minds of the apostles were not something that were far off into the distant future that people in the first century didn't need to worry about. In fact, when the apostles write in the New Testament, they wrote as if Jesus Christ could come back at any time. They knew they were living in the last days. And if they thought they were living in the last days, how much more so should you and I believe that we're living in the last days in the 21st century? We're getting closer to the end, getting closer by the moment to the end of all things. And what the Bible teaches is that as we approach the end of all things, things don't get easier on earth. Things don't become more comfortable on earth, but rather the world will be filled with great distress. There'll be famines everywhere. There'll be wars and rumors of wars. There'll be all of these pestilences and diseases upon the earth. There'll be nation rising up against nation, brother against brother. All of these things happening in the last days. And in the midst of all of that, God's people are going to be the, the, the object of persecution in those days. Now, obviously, the Corinthians, even in the first century, were experiencing some of this. They were either... Uh, living in the midst of some intensifying persecution or they were on the thresh, threshold of it. But Paul says, you are living even now in the midst of a present distress. Scholars believe when Paul wrote this letter, it was just before the time when Nero would become the emperor of Rome and Nero would unleash his wrath and his persecution upon Christians in the Roman Empire, and these Corinthians were going to be caught in the middle of that. And Paul says, these are difficult days in which you are living, regardless of what your status may be. Whether you're married or you're single, it's not going to be easy to live on the earth during this present distress, during these times of great persecution as the end draws near. But Paul has this deep conviction that comes out within this chapter, as he stated earlier, that if you're single and you're unmarried, you may be in a far better position to deal with the difficulties and challenges of living in the last days than those who are married. This has nothing to do with Paul being against marriage. Paul was not anti-marriage. As we stated before, God used Paul to give us Ephesians 5. And in Ephesians 5, you have uh, perhaps the most beautiful explanation and description that we have of marriage in Scripture. Paul had a high view of marriage because God has a high view of marriage. Paul's point here, however, is simply in regards to being able to go all in and live all out for the glory of God to advance the gospel throughout the world before time runs out and the end comes. 
Understand that Paul's focus here is not on self-comfort. It's not on self-satisfaction. It's not on self-gratification. His focus here is on the gospel. And making sure that, that his life is being leveraged for the sake of the gospel. And not just his life alone, but the life of every believer. That we are living for the glory of Christ and living in anticipation of the coming of Christ. And doing everything that we can to get the gospel message to people everywhere in the world. And Paul says, in my opinion, I believe that you're better able to do that if you are unmarried in these last days. But understand that what Paul shares here in these verses, and if you were paying attention as we read them together, this is not just a word for single people. This is not just a word for the unmarried. This is a word for everyone in this room, whether you're married or not. It speaks to all of us. Because, because regardless of your status, regardless of if you're married or single, we all should still be living for the glory of Christ and living in anticipation of his return. This passage talks about how we can do that best. And so in this passage that we read just a few moments ago, there are three things that I want you to see this morning, and the first is this. Paul offers us an assurance that we all can have whether we're married or not. Notice how he begins. In verse uh, 25, he says, Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord has in his mercy made trustworthy. So I suppose that this is good because of the present distress, that it's good for a man to remain as he is. Verse 27, so if you're bound to a wife, do not seek to be loosed. Paul makes it clear that he's not suggesting, regardless of what he says in the remaining verses here in chapter 7, he's not suggesting that those who are married should divorce or leave their spouse. We know from Scripture, and Scripture does not contradict itself, that God is not pro-divorce. In fact, he hates it. He doesn't hate divorced people. Let me be clear about that. But he does hate divorce itself because of what it does to the individuals involved and to the family unit as a whole. Scripture is clear that a Christian should not divorce his spouse for any reason except sexual immorality, that marriage is intended to be for keeps until death do us part. And Paul would affirm every bit of that. But Paul is saying here, that if you are free, and if you are unmarried, verse 27, if you're loosed from a wife, then do not seek a wife. This goes back to what he said earlier in this chapter, that he wishes that everyone could be like he was. Paul was a single man. And so because he was single, he was all in. He could go anywhere that he needed to go and do whatever he needed to do for the sake of Christ and did not have to worry about a family that he'd left behind, back at home. He says, I wish everyone could be like this. And so what he's saying is that if you're single or single again, and you can remain in that state without being overcome with temptation to engage in sexual immorality, then remain that way if you can. Remain free. But don't take verse 27 as if it were, if it were to be a command. Paul's not giving a command here. This is merely a strong suggestion. And that becomes clear in verse 28 where he says, but even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, that's an unmarried person, an unmarried lady. If an unmarried lady marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. Paul assures people who are married 
and those who are single but wish to marry, that marriage is not a sin. I'll say it again, that marriage is one of God's great gifts to us in this life. But, but, so is singleness. You see, not everyone needs to marry. Not everyone was made to marry. That may sound strange to some people in our culture, but it's true. And Paul is acknowledging that. Not everybody has to marry. Not everybody was made to marry. And if you're a person that God has given the ability and the, con and, and the contentedness to remain single, then be assured that there is absolutely nothing wrong with that, and don't let the culture that you live in tell you otherwise. We live in a culture where it is expected that every person should get married. And if you're not married, well, then there's something wrong with you. What's wrong with him that he's not married yet? What's wrong with her that she hasn't married yet? It doesn't dawn on this culture that God has a plan for each of our lives, and that plan differs from person to person. And yes, it's true that most of us perhaps have been, have been called or have this desire in our life to marry. And so we get married. There are other people in the world that God has not given that desire to. But rather they're able to remain single and contented. And Paul says, if that's you, then understand that this is not God's curse on you. It is God's gift to you. Because that gift brings with it freedom and opportunities to live and leverage yourself for the, sake of the, for the sake of the gospel and for the glory of Christ in a way that most married people simply cannot live. But if that isn't you, if you're not a person who has that gift of singleness and you should, and, and you should feel the desire to marry, then Paul says to you, well, that's not a sin either. Because marriage is God's gift. If you have a desire to marry, then you should, you should seek to marry. But you, you should understand the serious nature of the marriage relationship and the commitment that you're expected to live up to when you marry. If you have a desire to marry, you should prepare yourself. If you're single, you should prepare yourself now for marriage. And how do you do that? For one, you should pray. You should pray about this. As you should pray about everything in your life. There's nothing in your life that should be off limits or, or, or a place where you should keep God out. God should be involved in all of your decision making, including who you would date and who you would potentially marry in life. The Bible says we can cast all of our cares upon him because he cares for us. There's nothing too silly or ridiculous to talk to God about in your life. Jesus said that if, if, you, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And when he said that, he's not saying that, that we can just come to God and get everything that we want in life. But if you have a need that falls within God's plan for your life and God's will for your life, then you can talk to Jesus about it and you can put it in front of him and know that he is able to meet that need. And so if you are single and desire companionship and you desire to marry, then pray about that. But don't expect God to answer like DoorDash. Some of you are praying right now. And then hoping that when you get home, somebody's going to ring the doorbell and there's Miss, Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright. It's not how it works. 
Oftentimes we have to be patient. We have to wait upon the Lord. But you just need to trust that if you have a desire and this falls into God's will, you can pray about it and God is able to meet that need in your life. So pray. Second thing I would tell you to do is this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus said that in uh, Matthew 6, 20, uh, 6, 33. And then all these other things will be added to you. He didn't say, seek first the spouse. And that's what a lot of people do. That's what a lot of Christians do. They get so obsessed with marriage and so obsessed with having someone that they'll put Jesus on the back burner. They'll forget about their relationship with God and they'll get on this pursuit of finding someone that they can spend the rest of their life with. And that's not how it's supposed to work. There's not anything that is to be above your pursuit of Jesus Christ and his righteousness in your life. You pursue him. You go all in and all out for Jesus and then trust that Jesus is able to know your needs and to meet your needs. Third thing I would tell you to do is this. Look in the right places. Where should a Christian look for a spouse? Among the people of God. You should look for a spouse among God's people. We're not to be unequally yoked. A believer has no business dating an unbeliever or marrying an unbeliever. You should be looking for a spouse and companionship among the people of God. The best place to look is, is, is in the church. Church is a far better place to find a spouse than a bar. Can I get an amen? And so look in the right places. And then the last thing I would tell you is to have realistic expectations. There are some expectations that you should have as a person, a believer, who desires to marry. You should desire to marry another believer. They should be a person who loves Christ, and, be, and they should be pursuing a deeper relationship with Christ. They should be a person who treats you well. But you need to understand that they will not be perfect. But neither are you. You know what marriage is? Marriage is two sinners trying to learn how to live together and how to do life together. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Paul says, listen, I would spare you of all of this. If, listen, if you could remain single, then remain single. And the reason I'm telling you this is because if you get married, you are going to experience some problems. There are going to be some, 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 some troubles that you're going to have to deal with. If, if there's someone sitting here who is thinking that marriage is going to fix all of your problems in life, I am telling you that it won't. Amen? See, that amen would be louder if some of you weren't scared to speak up in front of your spouse. Marriage will, in fact, introduce new problems into your life. It'll bring new challenges, new difficulties into your life. And so when Paul says to those who are single that he would wish that they would remain unmarried, he's just trying to spare them some of those challenges and difficulties and hardships that are sure to come with marriage so that they can be more focused. The whole purpose here is to be more focused, not distracted on serving Christ. Because remember, Christ and the kingdom of God is what's most important in every believer's life, whether you're married or not. But if you marry, listen, there are going to be distractions, there are going to be problems that are sometimes going to cause you to lose focus of why you're here and why you exist and what your purpose is in the world. But Paul's point here is simply this. Whether you're single or married, you can still be in the will of God. 
Because your marital status does not determine ultimately where you are in God's will. It is your love for Christ, your obedience to Christ, your faithfulness to Christ, your service to Christ that ultimately determines where you are in the will of God. And so he gives that assurance to all of us. For those who desire to be married, for those who are married, for those who are single and feel content. Paul says, I want to assure you all that you can be perfectly in God's will right where you are. But that leads me to the second thing. Paul talks about here an approach to life that we should have and that we should take whether we're married or not. Look at verse 29. He says, But this I say, brethren, that the time is short, so that from now on even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use this world as not misusing it, for the form of this world is passing away. You see that? He says our time is short. Our time on this earth is short. Some of you are sitting here looking at me and you're saying, well, he wrote that in the first century. Then here we are in the 21st century. Paul got it wrong. No, he didn't. What Paul is saying is that our time on earth, regardless, is very short. That life is like a vapor. That it's here and then, boom, just like that, it's gone. Now, there's some younger folks in the crowd this second service. But some of you can identify with what I'm about to say. Does anybody, does anybody find yourself getting up and walking into the bathroom in the morning, looking in the mirror and thinking to yourself, where'd this old guy come from? I do. Because like, it doesn't seem that long ago that, you know, I look at these young people here in the room. High school students, junior high students, or college students. And I think to myself, that was, that was me not so long ago. I can still remember those days. I can remember being that young, having what I thought my whole life in front of me. And then I went to bed and I woke up and then this is what I've got. I mean, it look, it's, like, it's literally like it happened that fast. It's boom. Life has just passed by. And the Bible tells us this. The Bible says that this is the way it is. It's, it's the way it is for all of us. That life is like a vapor and your time on earth, even though you think you've got all of this time in front of you, it will be gone before you know it. And then you're going to be left at the end of your life looking back and thinking, what did I do with my time? How did I spend my life? What did I live for? Did I live for the things that were important or did I waste my time here on this earth? The book of Ecclesiastes is about an old man who's looking back over his life and said, I missed it. I missed it completely. Vanity of vanities. My life is vanity. It's meaningless. What a sad state of existence to be in. To be at the end of your life and figure out then that you've wasted it. Paul says, I don't want that for you. I want you to understand, regardless of if you're married or not, that your time is short. And the form of this world, verse 31, is passing away. In other words, this world is not going to go on forever. Everything in this world is temporary. It's perishing. And it's important that Paul reminds us of this. Because what Paul wants us to understand is that, listen, 
Though family is important. He's saying this to people who are married. Though family is important, you need to understand that it's not everything. And we say that all the time. Family's everything. Family's everything. And we live as if we believe that. But, but according to Scripture, family isn't everything. Family matters, but it's not what matters most. Our life is not primarily to be about family. Our life is to be about Christ and His kingdom and His glory. And we have to be reminded of this because in this world, it is easy for us to forget and find ourselves majoring on the minors, wasting our time on temporal things and neglecting the eternal things of God. And what Paul is doing is he's warning us against this. And so that's why he says, listen, if you are married... Even if you're married, you should live as though you're not. He's not talking about neglecting your spouse or leaving your spouse. We've already determined that. What he's saying, though, is this, is that you can't let even that relationship cause you to lose sight and lose focus of why you exist and why you are here and what your life is to be about. We as God's people are to be living with eternity in mind because that's where we're headed. And when you live with eternity in mind, it changes everything. And Paul gets to that. He talks about in verse 30 how it changes the way we grieve and sorrow in this life. He says, let those who weep live as though they did not weep. This world is full of sorrow. It's full of heartache and grieving. We all experience it. It's, it's part of the human existence. It's part of the human experience. We're all going to experience loss, and we're all going to experience grief. And the more relationships that we have in this life, the more intense that grieving becomes. And sometimes we feel like we've lost everything when somebody that we love leaves us or is taken from us. By death. I know, I know people who have lost a spouse and feel like everything in their life changed and everything in their life ended with the death of that spouse. I know people who've lost children to death and feel as if life just stopped in that moment when that, when that child died. And it's easy to feel that way if this world is all that you have. But when you are in Christ, and Christ is in you, and your hope is in the gospel, then you realize that this is not all that there is, that there's more on the other side, and we have that to look forward to. That there's a promise of a reunion one day for those who are in Christ, that we'll be together again with our saved loved ones in a place where there are no more goodbyes. And it changes the way that you grieve. And that's what he's talking about here. Listen, when you experience sorrow, don't let that be the end of life for you. Don't let that cause you to shut down, but instead you remember the hope that you have in Jesus. And then he also says it changes the way that we look at joy. He says, let those who rejoice live as though they did not rejoice. He's not talking about Christians being miserable people. Now, I know some people who say they're Christians and they look miserable. Poor advertisement for the kingdom of God. And I agree, but that's not the way a Christian ought to look. There should be a joy about us that is indescribable, unspeakable. But our joy is not on the temporal things of this world. And so many people, they just live for the stuff of this world, the pleasures of this world. But Paul reminds us that this is all passing. Any pleasure that you get from this world will soon fade 
and be lost. It'll disappear. But the joy that is found in Jesus is eternal. And praise God, the joy that we find in the gospel and the joy we find in Christ is a joy that the world cannot take from us. Nothing can take from us that joy. And so Paul says, let, let your joy not be in this world, but let your joy be in Christ. Keep focused on him. And then he talks about here how those who buy should live as though they did not possess. Eternity changes the way that we look at our possessions. Don't live your life seeing how much you can get or how much of the world's riches you can acquire. But rather, live your life laying up treasure in heaven. The only thing we take with us into heaven is what we, what we used and leveraged and invested in the kingdom of God. That's the only thing that lasts. And everything that we spend in this world, listen, it's, it, it's gone just like that in an instant. And it changes the way we see and use our opportunities in life. He says, let those who use this world live as not misusing it. What's he talking about? What Paul is essentially saying is that we, we, we use the world because we live in the world, but we don't need to become absorbed by the world. The world becomes our focus. Your job, your career, your activities, your hobbies, the things that we find ourselves doing in this life, we should not be doing those things or living in such a way as if to, to build our own kingdoms or, or to bring glory to ourselves, but rather everything in life is to be leveraged for the glory of Christ and for the sake of the gospel. I mean, understand that when you, we've got, we got signs in our church that, that say when you walk out of here that you're entering your mission field. I mean, that's true. It should be true. Like, this is wonderful. It's the gathering of the saints where we are encouraged in the Lord, reminded of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. But listen, our, our, our relationship with Jesus and our work in the kingdom of God does not end when we walk out these doors, but rather it really begins when we walk out these doors. Because we go into a mission field. And for those of you who've come to Martin to go to school, understand that you could have gone, a lot of, gone to school in a lot of different places, but you're here. Why are you here? To leverage this season of your life, to grow in Christ, and to understand His purpose for your life, but to use the time that you have even here now in this community for the glory of Christ and for the sake of the gospel. For those of us who go to work tomorrow, understand that the job that you go to, the business that you run, is not about building your kingdom. It's not about seeing how much you can acquire in this life, but rather it's to, it's to use that platform that you've been given, that opportunity that God has presented you to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ in that environment, in that space, to be a witness of Christ to those who are around you, whether that happens in a classroom or in a hospital or behind a desk or in a factory, we understand that the world is our mission field and we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And Paul says that's how we should be living. That every good thing that God gives you in this life, every opportunity that God gives you, every blessing that God gives you should be leveraged for the glory of Christ. And that's what happens when you live with eternity in mind. And Paul says, whether you're married or not, this is how we all should live. Which brings me to the third thing. 
And the third thing here are the advantages that Paul says we should consider when determining whether we should marry or not. So he gets to verse 32 and he says, but I would, I would want you to be without care. Now I want you to know that Paul is not suggesting that the single life is carefree. He's not saying to unmarried people, I know you don't have any problems. You don't have any challenges. You don't have any difficulties. The truth is we all have problems and difficulties and challenges whether we're married or not. But if we're honest, those difficulties and challenges that we experience in life are multiplied, especially when it comes to serving Christ and living all in for the gospel. Those challenges are multiplied when you are married. And this is what Paul is talking about here. He says in verse 32, that he who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. That can be his focus without much distraction. But he who is married carries, cares about the things of the world and how he may please his wife. He's got a family to worry about. He's got a wife to consider. And so it changes things for him. He has obligations and responsibilities that the unmarried do not have. He says the same thing to ladies. There's a difference between a wife and a virgin, an unmarried girl. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy in body and in spirit, but she who is married cares about, cares about the things of the world and how she may please her husband. His point is simply this. Marriage involves commitment. A healthy marriage takes a lot of time, a lot of attention, and a lot of work. And as a Christian, on one hand, you have this loyalty and allegiance to Jesus Christ and a desire to serve him and to give your all to the work of his kingdom. But then on the other hand, you have your spouse and your family and the obligations and responsibilities that go with being a husband, a wife, a parent. And those two things, if you're married, are going to come into conflict sometimes. It is unavoidable. For example, if you're married, you can't just go when you want to go. You can't. And I'm going to be completely transparent with you this morning as your pastor that I know exactly what Paul is talking about here. For most of, my, for most of our married life, Angela and I have been completely on our own. My mother died before we, before we ever married. Her mother passed away shortly after our firstborn, Tyler, came into the world. Our fathers were still living at the time, but they both remarried. And I'll just tell you, things changed. It was different. And God had called us to, to ministry, and so we lived away from all of our family, we both have siblings, but we were away from them, and we didn't have, we didn't have grandparents 
who could be involved in the raising of our kids and to help us out. It was just us. And thankfully, we were in churches everywhere we went. We were in churches that took our kids in, loved them as if they were their very own, and we were blessed because of that. But when you got right down to it, as far as this world is concerned and the relationships that we have in this world, it was Angela and myself and the boys. And so because of that, there were a lot of mission trips early on in our, in our ministry and marriage that I couldn't go on. I wanted to go, but I couldn't go because I have a wife and I have, I have children at home that I have to think about and I have to consider. And then there were other mission trips that I did go on, but when I went on those mission trips, I left behind a wife that was grieving at home, that was, that was brokenhearted because in her mind she was thinking, what if you don't come back? What if, what, what if something happens and you don't come home? Then it's me and these boys, and I know the three boys that she's talking about, and I would be scared to death as well. What do you do with that? I can remember mission trips, being on the mission field, and knowing that I had a brokenhearted wife, a, a wife that was scared at home. And so you're there, and you're trying to do the work of the Lord, but then you're thinking about home and, and family and wanting to make sure that everybody was okay. It was just hard. Now I'll tell you, we've both grown in the Lord over the years. And she's learned, as God has grown her, that we can trust the Lord with everything, that God knows the number of our days, and there's nothing that we can do about that, and that God will take care of our family no matter what. She knows that. I have learned, I hope, to be more considerate of my wife and considerate of her feelings and to involve her in decisions when I think the Lord is leading me a certain place or a certain direction or leading our family in a certain way to make sure that I give her plenty of space and time to process that and to come along with me on the journey. But I'll just tell you, it's difficult. And I'm not complaining because I wanted to get married. And I'm thankful to God that I married her. But marriage changes things. When I got married, I gave up the right to stay out as late as I want, to go wherever I want, whenever I want, because I've got a family I've got to think about and consider. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Listen, listen. I'm just telling you that when, when you get married, if you want to get married, but, but when you get married, it changes things. You've got responsibilities. There's a commitment, and you can't just go where you want to go. And you can't always give all that you want to give. It changes the way you, you look at possessions. It takes a lot less money to care for the needs of one than it does the needs of a family. Will anybody say amen to that? If you're unmarried, I mean, think about how much more you could potentially invest in the work of the gospel and in the kingdom of God, above your tithe, than if you were married. You don't have to think about a house that has enough bedrooms and bathrooms to accommodate a family. You, you save a ton of money on shoes. Some of you would. Clothes, food, braces, doctor's bills. I mean, there's no telling how much money I spent on all those things. 
I wouldn't trade it for anything. I'm grateful to God for my family. But there are sacrifices that you make when you commit to being married and having a family. Sacrifices that will place some limitations and hindrances on what you can do to serve Christ in your life. And Paul is simply encouraging here the Christian single to think about these things as they weigh and pray over God's will for their life. Now, I want to close with this. Look what he says in verse 35. I want anybody to take this the wrong way. This is a poor advertisement for marriage, amen? I'm just giving you the truth of God's Word. This is what God's Word says. But Paul ends in verse 35, and this is what he says. He says, this I say for your own profit. I'm just just telling you this for your own good, so you can weigh this out and pray through it on your own. Not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, that you may serve the Lord without distraction. In other words, Paul is saying, I'm not trying to put a legalistic noose around your neck, and I'm not trying to tell you what God's will is for your life in this matter. I'm not trying to hold you back from something that you may desire. Paul just wants those who are unmarried to be informed so they can prayerfully decide and determine God's will while considering how they can best serve the Lord with the least amount of obstacles and distractions in this life. Because when it all is finished, all that matters is the glory of Christ. We exist not for ourselves, we exist for Him. We were made by Him and for Him. We exist to bring him glory, and that should be the focus of our life, whether we're married or not. And for those of us who are married, we've already already made our choice. And Paul says, stay there and live with it. Make the best of it. But for those who are unmarried, Paul says, consider this. Think about this. And determine for yourself. With the help of the Holy Spirit, what is God's will for you? Now, with all of that said, let me give you just a couple of things to take home with you, okay? Ways to apply this. Number one, whether you're married or not, just realize that your time on earth is short and this world is perishing. It is. Everybody should understand that. And when it all is over, all that's going to matter is your relationship with Jesus where you are in relationship with Christ. And if you don't know Christ, I pray that today you would turn from your sin and put your faith and your trust in Him as the Savior and Lord of your life. And then begin to live for Him. Live the rest of your days serving Christ and living for Christ because you will not regret it. When you get to eternity, you will not regret the days that you've spent on this earth living all in and all out for the glory of Christ. I promise you. Everything else you may forget. But living for Christ and His glory, that will go with you into eternity. Number two, whether you're married or not, your focus should be on eternity and how to best leverage your time, your talents, your possessions, and your opportunities for the glory of Christ. doesn't matter who you are. This is for all of us. We should be focused on the kingdom of God. And if we're honest, we become too obsessed with this world. We, we all can become so obsessed with building our kingdoms 
and living for the things of this world that we forget about the things of God and we forget about what really matters. And what Paul is calling us to do here is to refocus and to understand what really matters most in life. And that's Christ and the gospel and the kingdom of God, whether you're married or not. And so I challenge all of us this morning to consider that and to think about that. Number three, if you're married, pray and talk regularly with your spouse to discuss what you're doing and how you might do more to keep Christ first in your family and to partner together in the work of God's kingdom. You're on this journey together. And so, so pray about this together. Talk about this together. As you grow older together, as, as, as things change in your life, opportunities open up that weren't there for you earlier, perhaps, in your married life. And so constantly evaluate and reevaluate where are we and how can God use what we have, what he's given us? How can we use this best for the kingdom of God? How, how, can we, how can we serve the Lord together? What's God doing in this season of our life? Think about that. Pray about that. Talk about that together as husbands and wives. And then fourthly, if you're unmarried, seek God's will for your future. If you feel the desire to marry, then seek to marry someone with whom you can serve Christ faithfully. It'll make it a lot easier. And if you feel led to be single, then stay pure and go all in for the glory of Christ and for the sake of the gospel because there's certainly nothing wrong with that. And in just a few moments, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song of response. And as we do that, listen, here's what I want you to think about. There may be, there may be husbands and wives this morning who just want to come to the altar together and just pray and just thank God for where you are, what God's done in your life, and then pray together. God, what are you doing in this season of our life and how do you want to take this season of our life and use it more for your glory and for the sake of the gospel? I encourage you to come, husbands and wives, to do that. If you're sitting together and you don't want to come up to the altar, then just take one another by the hand and then just pray right where you are. Just pray together. Just understand this is what we're doing. We're praying. I'm praying. You're praying. Let's pray and ask God how he wants to use our family for the glory of Christ, for the sake of the gospel. If you're unmarried this morning, I encourage you to come and just pray about where you are in life. If you have this desire for companionship, God hasn't brought that person into your life yet, then bring that to the Lord and, and pray over it. But also pray that God would use this season of singleness in your life for his glory and for his sake. And don't become so obsessed with finding a person that you lose sight of Jesus. Keep your focus on Christ and let Christ take care of all the other things in your life. You need to pray about being pure during this season of your life. Come and do that, whatever's on your heart. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, I can't tell you how important it is for you to know him. Listen, I don't know when he's coming back. I don't know when Christ is going to return, but I know he is. And as I read my Bible, it becomes very clear to me that that day is getting closer by the moment. And I would hate to imagine what it would be like living in this world at this time with no hope of something more and something better on the other side. And the only one who can give you that is Jesus. That's the reason why he came into the world. He came to die for you, take your sin on himself, suffer your punishment on the cross, and then rise again from the dead so that through him you could have hope beyond this life. You could have the promise of something more, that you could be made new and made right with God. Only Jesus can give that to you. And if you never trusted him, I pray that today you will. The altar is going to be open. Pastors are going to be through these center doors at a table that's right at the foot of the cross that stands out in the parking lot. And I want to encourage you, if you never trusted Jesus, 
just ahead to the cross. And one of our pastors will meet you there. And we'd love to talk with you this morning about your relationship to Jesus. If you were encouraged by today's sermon, leave us a rating and subscribe to the podcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church Martin, visit fpcmartin.org.